2: TV comics, movie stars, hit singles, and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes. An evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. fantastic. So here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Gilbert
0: and Franks. Colossal classic. <laughs> Cool, ready for takeoff. Who are you supposed to be? Well, I'm Incrediboy. What? No, you're that kid from the fan club. Frankie, Mikey, Braddy. That's it. Brady! My name is Incrediboy. I've been nice. I've stood for photos. I've signed every scrap of paper you pushed on me. But this. Oh, no, no. you don't have to worry about training me. I know all your moves, your crime fighting style, favorite catchphrases, everything. I'm your number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hey, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre.
1: Hey guys, Frank here, and we hope you enjoyed last week's part one of our very in-depth interview with director Brad Bird and composer Michael Giacchino. We know you did. So here is part two. It's chock full of goodies. Brad talks about the experience of making the wonderful Iron Giant, one of the best films of the 90s. And Michael talks about some classic Planet of the Apes music from the 60s and unveils some strange instruments that were used in the making of that soundtrack. And Michael even takes some music cues from Gilbert, if you can believe that. So, without further ado, part two of our terrific interview with Brad Bird and Michael Cicchino. Enjoy here's a question from a fan for you guys. The given that the incredible movies this is from Jeffrey Westoff, given that the incredible movies have a ton of bond homages in both story and score. Obvious question. Would Brad and Michael like to work on a bond
2: film? I feel like we already made our version of a bond movie twice, three times, twice, yeah. three, times. three times. Right. 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 Goes, go, right. Protocol too. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah go, that's, go that's, that's, I mean, look, I, I, I love James Bond. I love those movies, uh, but I feel like, we did our version of it. We did our thing. And I'm happy with that.
3: Yeah. Um, it, it's basically that, um, uh, you know, Bond is not the, when we talked about it, we talked about Bond, but we also talked about the man from uncle mm-hmm. mission impossible. You know, there were a ton of spy movies, the secret agent, man, you know, secret agent, man. Uh, I one. mean, it was, yeah. the, you know, there was a lot of that in the early sixties and, um, for me, it filled the space that superheroes were trying to fill. In other words, Superman had was in reruns when I was a kid and um, you know, I loved it, but you know, George Reeves was a little tubby and he, you know, he was obviously <laughs> yeah. going off of a springboard. <laughs> and then Batman came on and it was campy, campy camp, and Adam West also, you know, was, you know, yeah not, not able to, yeah and, uh, you know, it was not convincing and the Bond movies were over the top. They were, they had crazy villains. You know, you had a guy throwing his top hat with a razor on it, you know, I mean, they were <laughs> crazy. They were just as stylized as Batman and Superman, but they were a lot more believable. And so for me, and my parents were cool. They allowed me to see those movies when they were rated M, you know, uh, for mature, and I was not mature. They they le- allowed me to see those. And um, they filled that space for me. So when I think, when I was imagining a superhero movie, I went back to what I thought was cool when I was a kid. And there it was a lot of the spy films. I loved all those spy films and spy TV shows and spy music. And, and you know, so... The, bo- the uh, Bond
1: knockoffs too, the Matt Helm stuff and... Uh yeah
3: it's still yeah. you know yeah. in like flint yeah you know the has flint. some yeah. Flint pictures jerry really goldsmith good. really yeah. cool and a great
0: bond knockoff is uh,
3: the get smart theme
0: yeah right which yeah. is also
3: a great piece of music
2: written by bill Dane, yeah. his brother gilbert well it was and it was just all over television at the time it was amazing like you couldn't you know turn turn the channel without hearing something great yeah uh so, and also Henry Mancini was a massive, you know, influence, I would say, even for, for me on, on The Incredibles as well. Huge. You know, all of Peter that. Peter Gunn. So, yeah. I mean, I still have the Peter Gunn soundtrack that my dad gave me. My dad bought it in the PX in Germany when he was in the army. And, uh, and he, you know, that was one of the things he bought there. And, and he's, it was always in our basement. And I have that record, which I, I, I must have wore out the grooves on it. I loved it so much.
1: I love what you did with Speed Racer, too. Oh, yeah man, man. I, loved, I love that speed I right. love the movie
2: and I love the soundtrack Me too. so bravo The movie
3: the movie gets lambasted un-
2: unfairly but I feel like it's so ahead of its time it's, in so many ways it's a fever well, dream the, and it's
3: the thing is is that people don't realize they like I could see some movie executive going yeah that was a really popular show speed racer but we'll get the Wachowskis so it'll be like the matrix and the thing yeah. is is the Wachowskis actually knew the show. Yeah, and it and shows. They, yeah, their whole mindset, as far as I could tell, was, you know, you sit down with a big bowl of uh, uh, cereal that has got about two days worth of sugar in it, and you <laughs> power down three or four bowls of that stuff, and you watch Speed Racer, your heart is racing before the episode even starts. Yep. And that kind of manic thing is what it is. So when yeah. they did it at Mach 5, you know and and over the top and the colors are over the top and the you know the music is over the top, I mean that's the perfect version of Speed Racer to me. I agree.
0: To me, what drives me nuts is when they're doing a movie of an old TV show or a new version of the TV show, and they figure the way to modernize it is to take the theme music and put in a rap section.
3: Right? Yeah.
1: Well.
0: <laughs>
3: yes. Well, that's
1: that's about that's about selling records, right? Or just or you know or. Uh...
2: Well yeah, that's a big part of it, for sure. I tried to get Brad to put more rap music into Ratatouille, but he just wanted <laughs> he, he wanted to call it Rapatouille. I was like, Come on, the the kids'll love it.
3: Rapatoui Rapatouille. Yeah. <laughs> And I said, come on,
1: Mike, you know, Lalo Schifrin and he's, and he's still around. He's still with us. God bless him. When you are, when you're doing your homage, when you're doing your version of the mission impossible theme, I, and I'm not even sure how to, how to put this question together. Uh, you you know, how much license do you feel comfortable taking? And did he ever get in touch? Have you guys ever have a conversation about it?
2: Well, when I was hired for, um, Mission Impossible Three, which was directed by J.J. Abrams, I, which is a film I almost didn't get because I hadn't done a movie yet. You know, I was just Incredibles was just about to come out, uh-huh. but to Paula Wagner and Tom Cruise, I was still just a TV composer. You know, and I think that they were at the time thinking about going with someone a little bit more established. I won't name names, but you know that was the feeling and i remember jj having these conversations with me going I, I don't know i'm i'm pushing and doing what i can but i'm not sure how this is going to go and then the incredibles came out and uh that sealed the deal that was it and then tom with well, tom loved the movie and he was just like yes okay you can have your guy you know uh so thank you for that brad and uh and 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 then when it came to working on Mission Impossible, I, I was so nervous about what to do, exactly what you're talking about. Like, I, I didn't know what I how much I could change it, what I could do. That's what I mean, yeah. I was very nervous about it because I... Tribute and homage. Yes, and I idolize Lalo,
3: you know? All the ones that weren't Ghost Protocol had a very shortened uh, title sequence, too. They were very yeah. short. Uh, and yep. the, the first film with Danny Elfman doing that theme is literally like 10 seconds. It's like... Dum, dum, dun, uh, yeah! you know yeah and well we had like, fun with it and on on the one that uh we did together i wanted to pay tribute to the opening titles of mission impossible Good where they you. show bits yeah. of the episode to come under the fuse and do a modern update of that and so michael had a lot more screen time because we did all of the main credits uh yeah, under we had that a blast and he just went to town.
2: But prior to that, on the first one, so what I did was I, I called up Lalo Schifrin. You know, I had never met him, and I didn't know, but I got his phone number. I called him, and I was like, hey, Lalo, my name is Michael Giacchino. I'm going to be working on Mission Impossible. Would you mind talking about a few things? I have some questions. And he said, well, why don't we meet for lunch? So we met at this Italian restaurant uh, in Beverly Hills, and I remember, I felt I was so nervous. I felt like I was about to ask him if I could marry his daughter or something because I didn't want to <laughs> like ruin the whole, the whole thing. But I'll never forget. I was like, all right. Basically, what I really need to know is like, what should I do? What shouldn't I do? Uh, how, how, wh- you know, what are my parameters? What's the roadmap? And he, and he looked at me like I was crazy, and he goes. Just have fun with it. Do whatever you want with it. Go have fun. No zither. Stretch it. You know, squash it. No just, zither. Just go do it. <laughs> yeah. A, yeah no. <laughs> and I remember him after hearing that, I felt such a sense of relief, and and I I I just went bananas with it. I had I had a blast. It's really one of the most fun themes you could ever be blessed with. Working. But you with. guys well, are so, you, you guys are smart you, to know you, that it brings you right into the movie.
3: Yeah. Well, you know? and also Jacino an G- took cues from. Other cues that Schifrin had done for that show. Yeah. The plot. He, we, he, you know, he, yeah. he did it uh, in the greatest homage because these little melodies would trickle in every now and then that kind of reminded you of the, the show. And it was this great sort of scenting uh, that he did on the movie that I thought was great.
2: Okay, wait, I just got an email from Frank Marshall. And he said, indeed, he said, indeed, he was. And he was also in the army band with John Williams. How about wow. that?
1: Wow. So, so that, that rockin' Munsters theme was, writ- was so, written by your, your friend's dad. That is craziness. Wow. There you go. if I've accomplished nothing else today,
2: Michael. That's amazing. That's awesome. Well, now, now I got to get in deeper with him about uh, John Williams being in the, you know, in the Army band with his dad. I want to know more about that.
3: Yeah. Tell me about them catching the clap. Did they ever...
0: <laughs> <laughs> Another composer that I grew up with because he, I was a monster kid... And that was uh J. Salter, do you know anything about him? I know he you know the wolfman thing. the wolfman he
2: he did a lot of the universal stuff, right yes, yeah, yeah, he did all the universal stuff the early I mean, days of film composing. I don't know a lot about him personally other than you know what he's done and 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 there uh I don't know, we should do a a show on him, let's do one where we just talk about him. let's do a deep dive i would
0: I would love that I just remember the wolfman was.
2: Well, those were movies that were not afraid to be movies. I feel like nowadays there's so many films that are made that are afraid to be movies, you know, afraid to just be out there and be entertaining. Everything has to be restrained and held back. And in many cases, they're afraid to feel too emotional or too this or too that. You know, the audience has gotten so powerful in terms of uh, putting the studio on edge and on guard at every little move, you know? Uh, But it
3: puts management on guard. It doesn't put artists on guard. No, no, it doesn't.
2: But a lot of times the artists are sort of held back. Prisoners
3: of management. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Brad, here's one for you from Andrew LaPosha. Can Mr. Bird tell us about how he ended up being the voice of Edna, Edna Mode in The Incredibles? And, a, and, I can't, and I can't imagine anyone better, by the way.
3: Well, thanks. Uh, the short version of the story is I was cheap and available. <laughs> <You know>? uh, <laughs> uh, I actually, I had somebody that I wanted, this wonderful, well, I think the secret is out now, so I can say it, um, is Lily Tomlin I, I wanted. And uh, I met with her, my producer, John Walker, and I met with her down in L.A., and I uh, I showed her pictures of the character and I talked about the character. And as I was talking, I kind of did a little bit of the voice. And she said, that's interesting. And then she said, would you mind just recording all of the part, you know, because she's only in a couple of scenes, just record it into this recorder and leave it with me. And so... I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, uh, uh, yeah, I guess I can do that. And so she leaves and I'm there with John Walker and he's reading the other characters and I'm reading Edna and I'm looking at him like, what are we doing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, she doesn't does she want to do this or or, <laughs> you know. So we we do it and she's very nice and she sends uh, me on my way and she says, um, I'll, "I'm I'm going to listen to this over the weekend and and I'll have something for you by next week, and we can talk about it. And I went, okay, great. And so I left, and and I talked to her, and she said, you know, uh, I I tried, um, you know, kind of getting what what you have, and I, I can't quite get it. As, I don't th- I don't think it's as good as what you do. Um, you know, I I really think you know uh, you should consider doing it. And about the same time, I had an internal screening of the story reels of the movie, where where you have temp- temporary voices, just people that work on the movie are are the voices, and it's just to get kind of a generalized timing and and kind of be able to present the movie in a in a crude form. And uh, the after the screening, uh, Andrew Stanton and John uh, Lasseter both said you you should do the voice, and so I was just like. Well, you know, I'm available. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. So what the hell? So I did it. Um, but it really happened by accident. I wasn't intending to be in the movie at all.
1: And when you're in the park and you see the giant Edna Mode walking around, is, does it does it, <laughs> does it play with your mind?
3: Well, yeah, I actually worked on that. You know, they, oh, you they brought they brought the character up and wanted notes, you know, because, yeah, I, so I, I love it. So. Yeah, it's really strange, you know. Can can you do some of the voice for us now? Oh. All right. <laughs> well, I don't know. What do you want me to say, darling? I, I it's I don't do these types of shows, you know. <laughs> I look. I wait for the more prestigious offers that never seem to come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's
0: great. laughs> It it sounds a little like Jazzy Gabor.
3: It
1: is. It's like Jazzy yeah. Gabor and Maria Uspenskaya had a child.
3: Uh, what's the woman in from Russia with love? Too? Oh, uh, Lottie the, Lenya. Yeah, Lottie yeah. Lenya. Right. Reminds me <laughs> of too. Fantastic. A little bit.
1: <laughs> let's let's plug something worth very worthy, and that is uh, uh, speaking of of animation and animated films deserving a lot of respect, and that's the Iron Giant and i want to bring Ooh. up i want to bring up anthony michael your brother anthony's great documentary
2: he's around here somewhere he's which i staying. which i
1: watched oh and congratulations he's to spooning
3: him. his oscar he's yeah he's in the other room spooning <laughs> his yeah, Oscar. he just
1: he just won an oscar <laughs> for colette but we but but uh the iron giant doc which is on the blu-ray is just uh wonderful yeah uh, I agree. And, he did a and, great and, and, job. He did a great job. It's wonderful and it's heartbreaking, too, this, particularly when you're t- telling the story of how you went to the multiplex oh, and the standee yeah. had the broken leg. And the,
3: and, <laughs> All true.
1: I mean, what a terrific film, Brad.
3: Well, thank you very much. It, it was uh, the best of times. It was the worst of times. You <laughs> know. But it ended up being happy because we got to make the movie that we wanted to make, which... Uh, you know, it was kind of a fluke, but um uh, I'm really happy that we made it.
1: It's a masterpiece. And you can't you can't dislike any movie that references Mad Magazine, Will Eisner, and Zeppo.
3: And the
2: Zeppo. Yeah. <laughs> that's the first. Well, and actually when Brad was just here a couple weeks ago and uh which was really great because we hadn't seen each other in so long because oh, that's of nice. working
3: working uh, on said musical.
2: Working on said musical. So but one of the things I asked him about was the scene. He, he, you know, he animated one of the scenes in Iron Giant, and it is the scene where Hogarth uh, is given coffee. And if, take a moment and just Google Hogarth coffee, Iron Giant, watch the scene, because I have to say, I think it's brilliant and it's beautifully animated. And it's just, you know, we don't get to see you do that that often. And so <laughs> that is a great sort of little uh, time capsule of what uh, you can well, do. Well,
3: you're... You're very kind. It was a very stupid thing for me to do while I was trying to make the movie. So, it's so good. Uh, because it was, you know, it was one of those high-maintenance scenes.
0: We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this.
3: What would you like the power
1: to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of
3: America, NA, member FDSE.
1: I think it was also uh, admirable of you to not throw Warner Brothers under the bus in interviews that you've given and say that you, you know, you you were you were impressed. I by made them. some big
3: mistakes too. Well, that you made yeah. mistakes,
1: but that they were courageous enough to make the movie in the first place. That's and that right. And run from the room when they heard your, your your rather unusual pitch.
3: Right. That they actually embraced the rather unusual pitch, which was very cool of them. But they they were kind of, um, you know, they were live action guys, and they they thought that that was a a, a cool twist. So they did they, they didn't approach it um, they didn't approach it like a lot of people approach animation. They just looked at it as a story, and that's uh, that's how it should be approached. Mm-hmm. And you know, animation is just a method.
0: Here's something I ask every every songwriter and composer who comes on this show, uh, where does music come from?
1: Mm.
2: That, I, I'm still trying to figure it out, you know, but I'll tell you this. This is what usually happens. Uh, when
3: men and women get together, and they have a special man, feelings. A man
2: loves a woman. Uh, <laughs> After they're married. Uh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, what happens is I, I, I for me... I need to watch the movie. Say, if if we're talking about a movie, all right, we could talk about a couple of different versions of this, but it's it's a movie, and I really take in the story and I track how I, how it's making me feel. I really try to understand what the characters are going through, and I really it's it's a it's a it's a tough thing because you have to engage your emotions. You're not just making things up. That's you know I don't like to just make things up when I'm writing. I want them to feel like they came from some place real. So it's really digging into the movie, no matter what movie it is, and, under, and trying to put yourself in the shoes of those characters and go, how would I feel if that happened to me? How would, that, how would I feel? And from that, I'm able to write something. You know. Yeah,
3: composers, uh, I think, are kind of like uh, actors of the story, not one particular part, but of the story. They're like yeah. actors giving a performance of the totality of the story and uh that's what they remind me of, you know at their especially at their best because they're performing an aspect of the movie that is unique to to them and yeah. um you know it's, it's hard to, when when it's done well it's it's hard to separate it from the movie i mean i you think of the Godfather, you're right there with na na i mean yeah.
1: yeah. Or, or you mentioned the zither before in the third yeah, that's man. right,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So it is one of those things. It is like being an actor. I always do think about it in that that in those terms. So if you do it right, you're exhausted by the end of the day. <laughs> I'm sure.
0: And I always forget what was that uh, that the uh, Beach Boys used, and it was used oh, the in theremin? all of the. Yes, the theremin, it was used yeah. in all the. 50s science fiction. Films. Oh, yeah, it's so
2: great. Uh, the Theremin, and uh, well, it, you know, most famously by Bernard Herrmann in uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, which
1: is yeah, incredible.
2: Right.
3: Big influence on Iron Giant. Yeah, too. I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. I,
2: I love your little homages. I, I, just, I love that instrument. I have that. I actually played it on Super Eight, the movie Super Eight. Uh, so there's a we, there's a portion of the movie where it's showing the movies that the kids made. And we did a lot of like sort of stock music, what we would consider stock music, and I got to play the theremin on it. Michael
3: has a a guy that has the most exotic. Well, I don't think he's he's left. He's he's no
2: longer with us. Yeah, Amil Richards is one of the greatest sort of percussionists ever.
3: But he had a giant truck. Like full of these crazy instruments that that were from all over the place.
2: Emil, he was a percussionist. He played with everybody. He was, you know, best friends with George Harrison. He's so in terms of music, he played every style of music. And he came in, I think it must have been in the late sixties, early seventies, into Hollywood and became a studio session player. And just can do. Could do anything. Could do anything. But along the way, all along his travels, all the concerts, all the shows he did over the years, he would collect anything that he would knock up against. It would make a sound. He would be like, I, 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 "Actually, I have something. I'll show you."
1: Michael has gotten out of the chair and he's walking to his trophy case. I'm going to do, do play by play here.
3: His his eerie silence of the lambs lit. Uh, yes, case. it
1: is a little. It is a little eerie. What do you what do you see here? It looks like a it looks like a pasta bowl, a metal pasta bowl. Yeah, it's a just mixing a metal bowl, metal mixing, mixing mixing bowl. Mixing bowl so, excuse me.
2: So when I was doing Planet of the Apes, uh, you know, Amel came over to me, and and I knew this. Amel said, "You know, I uh, played on Jerry Goldsmith, the original Planet of the Apes." You know, and I was like, "Yeah, I know that Amel." And he goes, "Well, I still have some of the instruments. Would you would you want them? Would you want to use them?" I'm like, "Uh, yes. What do you have?" So he hands me a stack of these, right? And this one in particular was his favorite, he told me. Uh, and he, I said, what, a, what, a, what, a, what are you giving me, mixing bowls? And he said, he, and he told me this story about how he was in a hardware store one day. And Jerry, he was trying to figure out what he was gonna use for the movie and do something, because he was always trying to deliver some weird, interesting sound that would help Jerry with his scores. So he, uh, he said he knocked over a stack of mixing bowls by accident as he's like looking around and they made this horrible clanging sound. And he, and he picked one of them up and there was some other thing there and he just started banging on it. And this mixing bowl is, is used in the original Planet, of the, was used in the original Planet of the Apes film. And he would just do it like this. He'd be like, you know, and it gets this really weird sound to it. But- wow. Mixed in with all the other percussion stuff, it just creates such a unique, identifiable signature that you're not going to get anywhere else. And that was Amel. Amel was responsible for so many of these weird sounds. You know, this in the very beginning of ET, there is this sound, and there's no music really. It's just this the the logo. It says ET. You know, and you hear this kind of a sound.
3: Yeah, That's, it's like ambience.
2: That is. Uh, Emil on a giant gong with a super ball and he's rubbing dragging a super ball against this giant metal gong and creating this weird you know sound wow and, you know I used to use that a lot on I mean he taught me so much about wow. all of this stuff you know some you would think weird sounds are created by synthesizers and things like that but he was a guy that was able to make these sounds with real things I assume that clanging
1: noise in Planet of the Apes was meant to to create a sense of dread Oh, yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. When you were hitting the mixing bowl just now, I I thought, oh, my God, I see the movie in my head. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of chaos
2: in that sound. And he captured it so beautifully. And uh, and of course, Jerry was one of the most inventive composers ever to live. And he was always looking for some other thing to do.
3: That also is is those are a couple of your best scores as well. I mean, I thought those, the Michael scores for the new apes movies were amazing.
1: Absolutely.
3: I and mixed really well too. in the theater, you know, they, they, they really filled the theater. He's
0: my favorite yeah. guest to do research for. <laughs> <laughs> and there's uh, I always notice with like musicians who they sometimes will refer to as hack musicians. Uh, it's like mechanical that there are certain notes that are going to make you happy and certain yeah. notes that make you sad. Yeah, yeah. It's very strange, isn't it? Like you could sit there and go, you know...
2: That's not a happy sound, right? No. You know, but then you... you but now play one, it on the banjo. You change one, <laughs> you change one note of that. You know, suddenly... All you're doing is changing one note. Wow! And you feel feel the difference. That's just one 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 note, and it's a half step. It's it's you know, what the notes between a note. So the note between the D and the E is the half step there. You know, and that's a that's just a C minor chord or a C major. And then there's the chords that are like like this is one of my favorite ones. This you know uh, major seventh thing. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, and that's, that's just, a very just,
3: specific it, feeling.
2: Yeah. And you feel there's a sense of melancholy there that, you you know, and then there's also the combination of chords. If you start with. And then you go to. You just change the one one thing, you know, and it's just suddenly you're like you want to you want to cry, you know, it's like this weird. And and it's this power that I think no one really, truly understands, <laughs> you know, we, we know just enough.
3: Well, it's purely emotional, you know. Yeah. It's, it's like a language that everyone s- speaks. Yes. And yet it doesn't use words. But that's right. the stuff. To have it that is. come at the end of the process is scary as hell because it completely influences the experience of the movie. And if it's great, it makes it. And if it's not, it, it can just kill you.
2: Or if he's annoying me, I can really, like, I know which buttons to push by doing something. (laughs) Exactly, doing something (laughs) wrong on the.
0: (laughs) This is just the way you like it. (laughs) So if if you just wanted to pick up a check and you didn't care, uh, what the how the quality of the music, you could probably write a movie theme in about like an hour, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, depending on yeah, you could. You know, but it's always much better if you actually care about it. It will actually come out better if you care about it, which is... Gilbert can't relate to caring about your work. <laughs> <laughs> that I understand. That was made painfully uh, clear. Obviously,
0: that's, you've that's never a, seen me if you that, think I care. That's a, that's a language he understands.
3: <laughs> but but from the, from the audience's point of view, it's like I see a lot of these superhero films, and I can't tell you what the theme song is at all. Like, you know... Um, I mean, when, when I was, uh, young or, you know, or even, you know, John Williams score for Superman is yeah. super iconic yeah, and you, you, you think of Superman instantly when you hear that. And, and Danny Elfman's uh, thing for Batman is, is, uh, equally memorable. You know, Michael is one of the few guys that still like has an identifiable, you know, you have a, a, a melody in your mind when you think of a certain character. And, and I feel like, you know, the, the others are, are kind of into this ambient wall of sound that, that is interchangeable to me.
0: And Michael, it's a, it's a gift. Uh, okay. Uh, for this part of the movie, we're getting ready to uh, There's a montage of everyone working out. We get, we're going to win this big game could you do that we're gonna win the big <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well normally you would
2: just go we use the eye of the tiger but, yeah you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know
3: uh... and they're swathering do- oil on each other here they're <laughs> finding a sunlit room for the oil to reflect off of <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm trying. I, there was one
2: of those scenes in Speed Racer when they're building the car the night before the race, and they only oh, have like I love uh, that six love hours that to do it or 36 hours or whatever it is. It's the name of the queue, I think, 36 hours. But um, yeah, that was that. Those things are really crazy.
1: Since we have our friend John Murray is here with his daughter Samantha Murray, and she was just asking you before we turn on the mics about up. Uh, and since we're talking about emotion, just talk a little bit about finding that. The key to that score, because you told uh, us about, you told us about uh, it last actually, time. Actually,
2: I did play that. That chord is the key to that whole movie. That's it, huh? Yeah, that's it. The, the F major seventh. You can go, you know, right off of that. It tears my wife apart every time. <laughs> every single time. Sometimes what I'll try to do is sit down and when I sit at the piano, the first thing I'll try and do is, okay, if I had to distill this into one chord, what's it going to be, you know, Uh, and it's very difficult and it's not always achievable, but for that movie, it seemed to work for me to do that. And then, and then from there, it just, you know, melody is a very tricky thing because you want it to feel like it's something you've heard before but you also don't want it to be suddenly you're like singing some other song you know so it's 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 this it's a magic trick in a way it's about leading
3: but i think it was also very smart of you to do kind of a waltz thing because it's a dance between uh men and women you know yeah. and it, it this is really behind the love of his life and uh you know even when it's used to c- go behind the house being lifted up into the air the core of that moment is the relationship between him and his wife you well know, and who's we, no longer we with almost
2: us. messed that up talking about how music can ruin a movie there's an interesting there's an interesting thing that happened in that scene when the house is g- is being lifted up where we knew we were going to use that theme and we were going to do it in a big, big way. And I remember Pete Doctor and I were talking about it before I started writing. And he was like, it should feel triumphant and big, like something momentous is happening. And he's going on this adventure and he's going to just take off and leave everything behind. And that was sort of the feeling. And I was like,
3: yeah, that makes sense. That That's great. It's the exercise montage. Yeah, basically.
2: <laughs> so I went and I wrote this piece of music and we recorded it we were all so happy with it on the stage it was big and grand and, and adventurous and all of those things but then when we watched it in context with the movie when we were reviewing it uh it felt very wrong it felt very wrong and it felt like we were missing and we were forgetting the most important thing of that scene which was you know that this is all about His wife and his relationship with his wife. This is essentially his last dance with Ellie. Yes. You know, and 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 Pete and I both sort of sat back and were like, okay, we need to rethink this. Let's let's take another uh go at this. Let me have another go at this. And I went back and I wrote a completely it was essentially the same music, but it was much slower and much quieter. And it became more of a, a soft sort of waltz, you know, that was much more more nostalgic it it it, it 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 never let you forget what this was really about yeah you know and to see that sometimes when I do concerts I'll play both of those back to back to kind of explain to audiences how music works and what it does and how it can change the story and and how you you can you know you have to be really in tune with it but sometimes when you're working you're going so fast you don't you know you miss it and that was one of yeah. those ones luckily we were able to go back and and redo it. Yeah,
3: he, he had a moment like that in Ratatouille because oftentimes he will try out a, a theme not knowing exactly, you know, necessarily where it goes. Like, here's here's a, a sound that this movie should have. And he recorded the version of the Ratatouille theme with the full orchestra. We had like five minutes at the end of a session and he had not recorded it yet. And he did this very lush very romantic version of the song and and we had a recording of it and it was just one take and it was not for the film necessarily it was to hear to hear it with a full orchestra and so he said afterwards he said you know it's probably over the top it's probably too romantic but there it is and you know I'll 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 do a version that's not so romantic and so we finished the sessions. He does the version that's not so romantic for other parts of the movie and it works perfectly and everything's great. And I have not come up with the idea of the review yet. Ah. And I, and I have the idea for the review and it seems so crazy to me that I have John uh, Lasseter and Andrew Stanton come in and I say, look, This is, I understand how these work. This is the part of the movie where you get fast and you get loud and all that stuff. And I said, but the movie seems to want to be this different thing. And I took the recording that, I did a version, I did the narration, but I took that recording of the theme that I had in the bank and I put it behind me reading the words of that review and that persuaded them that it could work. And if I hadn't had the super romantic version of it, I don't know if the scene would be in the movie. And then we just used that version. Um, I think we did another take because you had some technical things you wanted to clean up,. Yeah, we did but it was up. that it was that emotional yeah. version of it is behind the review.
2: And that was orchestrated by Jack Hayes jack hayes was one of the great orchestrators of of hollywood of all time and when we were working with him he was in his 90s and uh you know he belonged to an orchestration team leo uh uh shukin and hayes uh and uh and you know i think um shukin had died many years ago but but jack had continued to work and and i worked with him on on everything that i ever did up until he actually orchestrated the married life scene you know i i i you know wrote it and let him do the orchestrations on that and He was just an incredible guy who had this incredible knowledge of old school voicing, you know, old school Hollywood voicing. And that's part of the reason that, you know, I think that worked so well is he had some great ideas on how to uh, deal with some of the chords and the progressions and things, which was amazing, you know. Uh, I loved him.
1: I like Brad's story because it's 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 the the perfect marriage of the storytelling and music.
3: I lucked out that I had that in my back pocket because if he hadn't chosen to record that and record it with that interpretation,
2: or if we didn't have time or something, you know, we may not have yeah. had time. But you, we we had the time, so we did it.
3: yeah yeah yeah, right how much time do you
1: spend immersing yourself mike in in something like ratatouille or coco you know what the assignment is you know what the style of music is the flavor of music what is the homework like and do you stop at some point because no that's too much direct influence
2: well for me because i'm such a nerd about these things there isn't really homework it's just about you know because i've been doing this homework for all my life i see i've been listening to that style of music all the different styles that 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 make Ratatouille. Ratatouille isn't one style of music. And one of the the great sort of directions from Brad at the time I remember was, look, think about this score as you're in your kitchen, you got home late from work, uh, you don't know what you're gonna make for dinner, look around, see what you got. We'll put a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. So so for me, it was about taking like Debussy, it was taking Django Reinhardt, it was taking a little bit of Henry Mancini. It was like taking all, I, I have little bits of all this stuff. Let's see what we can make out of this.
3: Whipping up some, something delicious. You know, and, and,
2: and that's <laughs> what Ratatouille was, was really just pulling from all the influences and things that I loved and seeing how we could all make them work. The same way that a chef would, would put, throw together a meal based on whatever you had in your kitchen. You know, and and it sounds trite, but that's what it was.
3: One of the things that happened on Incredibles was uh, we had uh, we talked with someone else uh, about uh, working on the score and it didn't work out. You know, he was just not uh, into it and not doing what we needed. And and so the word got out that I was looking for a composer and I got a deluge of CDs and um A a guy that was working on the film had worked with Michael and knew Michael Teddy uh, Newton, and uh, I remembered uh, him as well. And I had CDs from Michael, and one of the things that struck me about Michael's work at that point, which was video games and television, was that it was he was a chameleon. He could Mm -hmm. do. He did a World War II thing and one, and he did a spy thing and another, and he did a romance and, you know, he could sound like a 30s cartoon and he, you know, there was nothing that was uh, beyond his range. And, and that's one of the things that convinced me to, uh, you know, try to work, you know, get him involved in, in the projects were, were because he's a chameleon, which is like a good actor again. You know, he can play any part, you know, and and uh, it's so
2: insane, though. It's so insane that you that I got that job. Like, I feel like, you know, looking back, you know, for a company like Disney and Pixar, Pixar especially had been working with Randy Newman and Thomas Newman. And then the next thing is, well, let's get this guy who has never done a movie.
3: Well, there's (laughs) there's there's your explanation for the time that went by before I called. Yes, is, it was it was a controversial choice to go with someone who had not done a movie yet, um, but everyone got persuaded. Once you play w- his other work, it's like it's a no brainer. It's like you know he's absolutely going to kick ass. You just know it.
2: I I always thought it was because you had already blown the money on the last on the guy you just fired, <laughs> so they were like, "Well,
0: he's, this is the only one that we're going to be able to afford." You know, here. not at all. I just thought of another scene. The girl says to the guy, "You know, you lied to me, and I'm leaving." And now, what is the- this
3: movie? I got to know <laughs> what this movie is. <laughs>
0: It's his Yiddish porn movie. Yeah, it's a Yiddish it it's porn It's a Yiddish movie. porn film that he's he's writing
2: in his head right like now. Fluffer on the roof. And
0: after she says that to him, he's standing there in shock and sadness. You know, like there's an old you know, if
2: maybe he's an old detective, let's say let's say He's confused, he doesn't understand why she's leaving. <laughs> you know, this is all like, what's gonna happen to me? And then I think, then he looks over and he sees the knife on the on the counter, you know? And, uh, and he looks up and she's still getting her coat on. And then he's just like, oh, I'm gonna grab. He slowly, his hand is slowly moving towards the knife. You know, and then he's like dragging you can hear the <laughs> knife scraping along the uh, the counter as he's dragging it towards the- anyway, yeah, we could go on with <laughs> <laughs>
3: and, and then his uncle who's from the Yiddish theater comes in and he's in a really good mood.
0: <laughs> Do you have a charisma over there? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't, have a, I don't have the clarinet. No, I can't do that. Brad, here's my last uh, uh,
1: listener question for you. <laughs> okay. This is
2: from Megan, Megan
1: Reinhardt, no relation to Django. Uh, question, what is going on with Brad's 1906 earthquake film? Oh, well. Our, our listeners know their stuff, Brad.
3: Yeah, wow. Um, I still am interested in it. Um, it's a very weird project. There's a lot of misinformation about it on the internet. Um, supposedly they shut it down because we did a budget and it was so wildly out of control that they shut it down. And it's like, it never got to that point, you know? It never got to the point where we felt that we had the story. It's a very um, specific time. It's an amazing uh, 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 city at a moment in time between the Wild West and sort Mm -hmm. of a sophisticated 20th century. Um, they were still clunking people on the head and shanghaiing them for money. and uh, but they had, you know, gas lights next to electric lights and horses next to automobiles. And it was both centuries happening at once in a very corrupt uh, uh, city hall. and and uh, just wild. It's a wild thing. So to get that all in in, in a movie sized box was really a tall order. But I still have. Um, I'm very interested in it. Michael is interested in it. Um, it's an enormous undertaking, but I think that it would be amazing if it all could come together. It would I'd be great. I'd love to
1: see it. You're, you're not one to shy away from an ambitious project. Cause just watch. No, uh, as
3: long I just as I drag that guy. Again. Oh, yeah. hey. Yeah. We we gave it our best shot.
0: You you have a clarinet with you? I I don't have a
3: clarinet. Uh. <laughs> Do you have some other... Gilbert, like, what are you? <laughs> well, you have some other kitchen utensils that you'll... What are you, Lawrence Weld, Gilbert? <laughs> you realize that Gilbert is making a movie and he's not paying Michael. That's what's happening here. Oh, yeah. This is, this, is the, this is how Hollywood works. What is that? <laughs> this is...
2: Uh, I got this... You know, I I, I worked a bit on uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's last movie, uh, right. For before at, before at Two... And this, he sent me this as a thank you. Is uh, that a didgeridoo? It's no, it's like some crazy trumpet.
3: It's thing. a didgeridoo. Don't.
2: Okay. I don't even know how to play it. Michael is blowing a four-foot-long trumpet. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, that works. It's uh And you know the weird thing is, I just actually recorded this. I recorded this and some other instruments I had to make a new instrument for Jurassic world, which we just finished. It uh... it
0: sounds like a, I I was going to say it sounds like a dinosaur. Yeah, it, it
2: works out great, except the way I used it, I recorded it, pitched it down. It becomes more of an effect. It's like
0: a weird thing. Anyway. Here's what I was going to ask. It's for. not a clarinet, sorry. Here's what Gil,
3: Gilbert's project involves a dinosaur and I know, Yiddish this porn. is the
0: Yiddish porn.
2: We're, we're heading down this Yiddish porn thing again. Does he have a he's getting
3: he's I, getting
0: ambition now. I I want music. I don't know if you could do it if, without a clarinet. I need music for a, a Jewish spy movie. Oh. A Jewish
1: spy movie. Yes.
2: Wow. Yeah. That I don't know if I can do at this very second, well, but what maybe the I can. Th- fuck, are you on the show? I can throw something for you, <laughs> and I'll get it to you. You know? Oh my God! I'm trying to think. I have the Yiddish stuff, but... My, my fantasy is to hear you do a version
1: a variation or an adaptation of Billy May's Green Hornet theme. Oh, my
2: God. You know, uh, one of my favorite versions of that theme was recorded by Al Hurt.
1: Yeah, Al Hurt.
2: Uh, you know, yes. and, and, and it's the, on the trumpet. The, oh, my God. It is, like, one of the best versions. And actually, that was a big influence for me for on The Incredibles as well. And in particular, for the scene where Dash figures out that he can run on water, right? you know, and I just remember the energy of that tune and that, and that theme, and especially Al's playing, I was like, I want it to feel like that. And I, and when, so those really crazy uh, jazz voicings in the horns, they're all from that, uh, that version of the, you know, inspired by that version of uh, the green Hornet theme.
3: What was funny yeah. is that the uh, the horn section was exhausted after that take. They were like on the floor is by the last wow. note. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, yeah. In fact, I get rough recordings. You know, uh, uh, like a day or two after the recording session. And what cracked me up is they have all the sound of the conductor going. You know, okay. You know, tacit this. Okay, da 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 da. Let's go. And and right after that take was finished with that piece you could hear a couple of the horn guys go "Ah," like that and i always connected that i always hear it when i hear this thing even though they clip it off of course you know that that is the true version of that cue is the oh yeah it's true at the end of it because we exhausted them
0: return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast but first a word from our sponsor
1: gil i've got i've got one question for each of these boys before we let them get back to their lives unless you want uh unless you want uh, mike to pull yeah. out a flugelhorn
0: yeah. unless we're still in development a, on your film yeah,
1: and a triangle. i want
0: if i were a rich man but in a in a horror film <laughs>
3: It, make it, if I were in Richmond. Because <laughs> it's kind of you know, a <laughs> little sketchy. In Richmond. Yeah, if I were in Richmond. Uh, if I were
2: a rich man. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would just have to do this Yabba, to all the Dabba, Dabba. Oh, 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 Yeah, you could do this. Oh, oh, oh. we we'll have to get you to sing it, though, Gilbert. I mean, we'd have to do that. <laughs> yes. I you know? I think it, we could... Yeah, you could do it. You If you want to hear Gilbert hmm. yeah, sing, rent,
1: rent Aladdin too. If
0: I want a rich man. Yabby, dabby, 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 dabby.
2: I think that's like the Flintstones version of... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or as Brad said before, yabba dabba don't. <laughs> one for you, Mike. One last one for you from Charlie Bruce. Uh, Michael's work on Lost was phenomenal. You brought me to tears so many times, especially with the death scenes of Charlie and then Son and Jin. Uh, uh, a- a- any any one quick memory from Lost? And our friend Josh Chambers adds, uh, if you if you revisit Lost, could Gilbert possibly get slipped into the Dharma Project's original design team? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say
2: yes to that. Uh, okay. Uh,
3: As the designer of the canned goods. Uh, yeah, you'd be great.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what he's talking. That's the crying. That's a. Anyway. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. Is it? What's the question, though? Uh, just <laughs> one,
1: one. One. quick memory of Lost.
2: It could, oh, it could be short. Um, you know, I have a, I have so many memories of that, but I remember one of the biggest ones was like wherever all of us. And I have, I have such good friends that I've made from that show. Uh, a lot of times you do these things and you move on and you don't see these people again, but the cast and crew I've remained close with. And, uh, and it's great. You to still do I remember,
3: concerts.
2: Yeah. we still do lost concerts. And, and, and if any of the cast is available, they come and we hang out. And it's a great way to just kind of reconnect with all the fans and, um, but I do remember watching the finale together with the whole cast. We were all together watching it. And it was one of the most emotional experiences that I've ever experienced. Because, you know, you do something for, for that many seasons uh, together. And you will really are a family. And that show in particular, everyone was a family. So, I, you know, and, and there are people who complain about the ending and this and that. I personally absolutely love the ending. I, I, I feel like if life were really like that, why wouldn't you want that? You know, uh, if you all end up together with the people that you sort of experience all these wonderful things with and bad things as well. But but I just I don't know. I love the movie and I loved watching it with with the people that we made it with uh, the finale, with the people that we made it with all those years. That was probably that was a great and they would always come in and guest conduct sometimes. In fact, uh, Jorge Garcia is a good friend and, and he and I for the past, I think we are now up to almost 48 weeks. He played Hurley for people
1: that don't remember. Yeah. He played
2: Hurley in the show and Jorge and I, every Sunday with a couple other friends of ours, we get on zoom for the past 48 weeks and we play a game called fireball Island, which is uh, an old Milton Bradley game from the eighties. And so, so I, you know, being, staying in touch with these, with these, you, I've made a lot of good friends with everyone. And it's just, you know, it's just such a special show. So thankful I was involved. So
1: okay. I lied. This one's from a friend of yours, Gene Beretta, Michael, having grown (laughs) up around Philadelphia, let's hear a little of your best Philly accent.
2: Uh, Well, I I'm going to get me, I'm going to get a glass of water. I'll get a glass of water and uh, watch out for that, that pile of cement. Uh, over there that there hasn't tried yet. So yeah, oh the, the Beretta's the you know, Beretta is, brothers. You just did their oh, podcast. They're the, yeah, I did. They're the best. Great They're guys, so much
1: fun. Great guys, and we love Kirk too. Oh yeah, Gil- Gilbert.
2: Awesome. Unless unless
1: you want to turn into Dmitri Tiomkin again, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna let these uh, these gentlemen have given us so much wonderful stuff. I think you got
3: to follow up on Gilbert's movie. I think he yeah. needs to go all the way with it. <laughs>
2: I think what well, we could do a, like a reading of it first. We'll just do yeah. a reading, a, a, yeah. a Zoom reading of
0: it once we okay, get the script about, in order. Okay, how about I'm very happy uh, because Brad wants to make my
3: movie. Um,
0: <laughs> oh, not going to happen. <laughs>
3: uh,
2: <laughs>
3: I, I will go see your movie.
1: He'll go. He'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me thank some people and we'll get out of here. Michael, thank you for being such a sport. Uh, oh, and thank, yeah. thank you both for entertaining us within an inch of our lives. Not only <laughs> not only here tonight, but for the last couple of decades. want to thank Michael's, uh, Michael's associate, Curtis Green, who helped us get this done. We want to tell people to go see Anthony Giacchino's documentary, Colette, and also the documentary about Iron Giant, uh, which is terrific. Yeah. And uh, what else is coming up? Quick plugs? Anything you want to talk about?
2: Can you say Uh, anything
1: about Batman other than you're working on it?
2: I saw the first 20 minutes yesterday, and it's, I, maybe that's all I'm allowed to say. But I left very happy. That's, that's good enough for us. And I hope you turn out to be right
1: about movie theaters because all of those movies that, all of those ten-pole movies that Michael's working on need movie theaters.
3: <laughs> yes. True. And, you know, where's Gilbert's
2: film going to go? Right. Well, in that theater down on 2nd Avenue. You yeah. can have it in there. <laughs> Could you,
0: uh, can I hear with the porn porn? Of my movie.
2: Oh well, that I definitely (laughs) did, like the Wawa guitar thing. Okay,
3: (laughs) but (laughs) but no, then the dinosaur comes in right at the end, (laughs) (laughs) kind of ruins the feeling.
1: (laughs) To our listeners who haven't seen the Iron Giant, please see the Iron Giant. Yes, one of the best. I won't say one of the best animated films ever made. I'll say one of the best films ever made. Oh,
3: very, very kind. Absolutely. And thank
1: you, thank you guys for putting up with our nonsense. Oh, uh, please. no this problem. Is, this is are, essentially, this is
2: like uh, this is essentially a conversation that Brad and I would have. So consider it therapy. This feels very normal. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Gilbert, anything else you want to torture these gentlemen with? <laughs> I know you're I know you're a sadist at heart.
0: <laughs> yeah, couldn't we do a porn uh dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, Brad, how much of that stuff...
1: As a podcast? How, how much of that stuff from the cool comic book shop in, in Tomorrowland did you actually get to take home from the set?
3: Uh, not very much, Oh, that looked like a set dresser's dream. Yes, it, it was actually, yes. It was fun for that reason, you know? It was it was just like, uh, you know, everything under the sun was in there.
1: I have to say that Giacchino's cameo made that film for me
3: yeah see, man he has what a whole, he has, speaking of stories he he's got a whole backstory for this character, and yeah he's Mike apparently Lazarus putting is his, his name Mike Lazarus, and he's putting his life, life together mike after lazarus it, i couldn't yeah. see
1: I couldn't see the Disney badge. I was wondering if it said mike on it uh, yeah. i still
3: I
2: still have it it does
3: actually his mike. his life was going bad and and he's got this ride operator thing as a way to put it. Back together. I have it somewhere. There's a whole story.
1: I can't. And and I loved his cameo in uh, in Coco too. That was a nice homage. Michael has gotten out of the chair. He's back at the scary trophy case.
0: Michael, do you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can <laughs> you you, you can hear me?
1: He's got it. He's bringing it. Oh, here it is.
0: Get the horn also. It puts the lotion in the basket. Get that dinosaur horn. Oh, you go. got the badge. Oh, Look at very that. nice. Now, can you get the fucking dinosaur? Horn? <laughs> That's still here. Don't worry. All right. Oh. I want a romantic uh, moment between two dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's actually very accurate. (laughs)
2: We could talk to you guys for hours. (laughs) Thanks thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Looking forward to doing it again one day.
3: Take care.
2: All
0: right. Bye-bye. I'm Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santopadre. And we've been talking to the very talented Brad Bird and the, how the fuck does this guy pay his rent, Michael Giacchino? (laughs) He's
1: got an Oscar, Gilbert. He walks in and he puts the Oscar down on the table like Shelley Winters did.
0: Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm o- sorry. The
1: Oscar and the and the Grammys do all his talking. Yeah,
0: Michael, <laughs> Michael, I'm sorry. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, boys. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, Bye-bye.
2: Sure is out there, it's our way. So grab your scouts and goggles, let's fly. I've mapped out our journey,
1: we're up here to stay. Let's grab our aircraft, air, or the
2: steel will be there.